Welcome again to MacAv Community Church. My name is Alvin Weathersby. I'm an elder. And uh, this series, uh, what we're doing is we're taking time to allow leaders in our church um, to be able to speak on particular passages of scripture um, that um, that is on a heart, that is a conviction and a burden. And so this series, you know, is just um, us basically uh, um, talking about different subject matters. And um, but typically what we do is we go through the Bible uh, chapter by chapter. Um, and so today I'm continuing um, uh, well, it wasn't necessarily a scripture, um, but a burden. Um, and that uh, burden was abortion. Now, when I started this, um, this sermon for this week, I didn't have a particular verse. Um, I, w- I planned on just kind of summing up last week and then helping us uh, with some practical ways that we can um, be a voice um, for the unborn. Um, but the Lord uh, really began to like put this one passage, one passage of scripture uh, on my heart. And I don't have it as the first verse because what was going on was it was just going to be this one verse in the midst of a bunch of other verses. Um, but as I began to just seek the Lord, it just became more clear like this is the verse he wants me to uh, really drive home. And so if you can open up your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 18 through 19. And when you get there, say amen. Oh, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 18 through 19. Amen. Amen. Okay, that's enough. Amen. Now I'm going to start. Because <laughs> I know some people still flipping. It was just kind of like, you know what? I'm just going to act like I found it. <laughs> I used to do that. All right, let's be serious. <laughs> all this is from all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Last week, we talked about um, abortion. We talked about the sanctity of life. Uh, We talked about at conception, you have a, a distinct human being that is loved and known by God. We talked about the, about the fact that our humanity begins at conceptions, but what, but is, but what is more spectacular is that God's love for man began before conception. And so really what we were doing last week was really spending time to talk about the sanctity of life in the womb and to kind of renew our minds um, about the value of babies in mama's room because oftentimes we can get just caught up in a political um, propaganda, but I really wanted us to have a time to focus on that. Um, one of the things as I 
in the past been a part of the pro-life movement. I wouldn't consider myself uh, uh, in the movement anymore, but uh, I still have pro-life convictions. And one of the things I was really convicted on was uh, abortion being the fruit of man and woman's dysfunction. There was times where I stood outside abortion clinics um, uh, seeking to try to persuade women um, that there's another way to choose life. And as me and a few other people would minister to women, um, the thing that I would notice is I would see women come in uh, with men being led by men. Um, sometimes I would see women come in where it's a mother um, taking her daughter. Um, there was this opportunity where one day I wasn't at the clinic, but I got a call um, from one of the brothers who was down there. He was just like, yo, I want you to call this uh, young woman because her, her grandmother is trying to get her to have an abortion. So I called the grandmother. Well, I went to call the young lady, but the grandmother answered. And so I was like, oh, okay, all right. So I'm talking with the grandmother and everything, and I'm going through my whole pro-life apologetics, right? You know, um, just there's no difference between life in the womb and this and this and just all these different talking points that I have uh, learned to try to um, defend life. But the problem was is that this was a grandmother who was taking care of her two granddaughters because her daughter was out in the streets and the one granddaughter had already had a baby and now her other granddaughter is having a baby and there's no man around and this is a grandmother and that it was such a, a heartbreaking situation because one you had this grandmother who thought that man, she was just looking for um, just uh, to be relieved from her suffering. Um, and But it was this grandmother where I couldn't just look at her as this nasty feminist, right? Um, someone who just uh, don't want to deal with the consequences of her life. I couldn't look at this woman like this because she was a grandmother that was trying to care for her daughters. Um, but she was just put in this corner. And so I was just really convicted, one, about the plight of women, and then two, about the brokenness um, of the relationship between mother and fathers. But the beautiful thing about this passage of scripture that I just shared with you is that we see that God is a reconciling God. And that through the work of Jesus Christ, he is reconciling the world to him. And the fruit of that is that it also reconciles us to one another, and it reconciles mommy and daddy. And so this see, this um, Sunday, I just want to talk about relationships in the context of abortion. Um, because I think just like you have to start with what is the unborn before you engage this topic, I then, I think, second, you have to begin to discuss what's up with mom and dad. That makes sense? And so I want to start by just taking us to the beginning. Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created man in his image, in his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And so God created man, one, to be his representatives and to imitate his creative work. Adam and Eve were given a call to rule, subdue, subdue and multiply. They were to spend their lives in fellowship with God, um, expanding his glory throughout the world, as well as being the beneficiaries of his abundant love. But also, uh, man and woman were created uh, to have a loving relationship with one another. And this relationship was also to bear God's image, uh, and really in three ways. One, it was supposed to be a, a harmonious, loving relationship. Um, God is a triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And they eternally existed, and they had an eternal love for one another. When they created us, it wasn't because they needed us or they needed something to love. They had love within themselves, and it was a, a perfect, harmonious love. It was a, a loving relationship. And so when he created man, he created woman, he also wanted to be able to look down from heaven and see them um, uh, in this loving um, interaction with one another. He also created them distinct, but he, they were equals. God is triune, right? All the members of the Trinity, right? They're all powerful, omnipresent. Um, they're all to be worshipped. There's, um, there's just there's nothing that makes one greater than the other. They are equals, and in the same way, so is man and woman. And then, lastly, there was a difference in the role in their role and authority. And so, God wasn't. The Son, the Son wasn't the Holy Spirit. And they all had these different roles. You think about creation, and actually there was a, an authority, too, uh, within the context of the Trinity. We had God the Father in the context of redemption. He created the plan. Jesus Christ, the Son, submitted to the plan, and he went out and executed it. And then he descended. Once he completed that, he ascended to heaven, and then the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit submitted, came down, and now he applies the redemption to us. And so when we look at the way God created us, he created us to be loving, he created us as equals, and he created us um, with what I call a functional functional submission in a way where um, there's an order to help uh, us move as we um, go out and expand his glory throughout the world. Now, this is a good thing. But when we also look and we see in Genesis what happened, Satan comes along and Satan has already fallen. And so now his mission is to just basically undermine all of God's good works. And so what he did was, is he kind of reversed that creation order where it was God, man, woman, you know, then creation, you know, he took on, you know, creation, the serpent. He went, you know, to the woman, the woman, you know, he, he, he basically conned her and deceived her into um, rebelling against God. Adam, who was passive in all this, um, kind of went with the flow and then, and together they both rebelled against God. Now, we see that there's the implications of death came into the world, 
Now, sin is in the world. And also, it was implications on Adam and Eve's relationship. Now, that relationship, the harmony is now going to be interwoven with strife. Now, instead of Adam being a, a loving, caring, servant leader that looked at his wife as an equal, now we see men um, subjugate women, um, treat women as inferior. And then we see women wanting to oppose her self-will. And then we have that whole battle of the sexes or the gender wars. And if anybody knows that when mommy and daddy are tripping, who catches the brunt of it? The kids. And so abortion is the fruit of a dysfunctional relationship between man and woman. That is the effects of the fall. So why do women have abortion or why do women want abortion? Um, That's a hot topic, you know, and you can go online and you see five reasons or 10 reasons. Right. But I want to give you three reasons why I think women have abortion or why we have a, a culture of death in this country, as I would like to call it. The first reason is desperation. And what I did was as I was studying, preparing for this sermon, you know, I listened to a lot of uh, TED talks on feminism as well as abortion. It was just reading articles and books. And so what I did was, you know, I just took quotes. And um, as I was just trying to figure out, like, what is the I know that is sin, but what is those core societal reasons? And one is out of desperation. And one quote is, abortion is an unfortunate solution to an unwanted pregnancy. But until we live in a society where children are collectively raised and cared for, you simply can't force women to have babies they just don't want. And so because of the fall and because men um, in our culture, this toxic masculinity, or you want to say hyper masculinity, or basically a that is uh, rooted in self and not in God's truth. You know, you have a culture where men use women, uh, men seduce women. Um, men basically put women in situations where now they got to compromise their maternal instinct just for the sake of surviving. And, you know, I shared with you last week that, you know, I'm a post-abortive father and uh, my wife is post-abortive. And this happened before Christ. And I was just, a, like I said, I was just a bad dude. Um, and Marilyn and I, we were just married. We just had our first baby. Marilyn already had a baby. So we had two babies. Um, and I was tripping. And so my wife, now she has two daughters. She's in the military. She's away from home. And she's married to this dude that's just a jerk. That shows no signs of um, being there for the long run. My wife, who is such a loving, nurturing, caring woman, right? Which I think that there's a lot of women who find themselves in this situation who aren't like bad women. They just, you know, they were, they just gave their love and affections to the wrong dude. 
And now they find themselves in a situation where, man, how am I going to, like, care for my daughters? How am I going to move? And just all these, and it's just, I can't even just explain all the emotions that a woman can do, can have when she's portrayed by a man. In fact, when I, you know, one day I went to her and I said, baby, and I already knew the answer. I said, if I was a better man, if I had better character, would you have aborted? And she said, no, she wouldn't. And, you know, I believed her. And I know it wasn't a situation where she just wanted to make me feel better. You know, and, and really what I wanted to do was is I wanted to, like, relieve some of that burden and guilt off of her. Because what happens with abortion is, even when a man is sorrowful over it, like, I grieve. But I don't think men can grieve to the level that a woman grieves to know that she had that life. And she's the one that had to go, to the, go through that procedure. And so, man, force myself to move on. But y'all get the picture. Women have abortions out of desperation. And it's... And then the one thing that is the deciding factor of whether or not and it's been playing out through statistics, and even as I talk with other women, it always comes down to the dude, even in financial hardships. You know, oftentimes they want to play the, uh, the poverty narrative when it comes to abortion, and then they want to deal with policies, right? Now, I do agree that we could have policies but what's happened is we have to be mindful that those policies are a safety net because men are tripping. And so I'm okay with maternity leave. I'm okay with all those things. Um, but let's be mindful, like, policies cannot fix the relationship between man and woman. The next reason why men, why women have abortion, exasperation. Over the last 200 years, the number one driving force that has enabled women to be liberated. And just for people living in, uh, who may listen to this in podcast land, again, I'm reading a quote, so I don't want them thinking this me saying this. So, quote, <laughs> over the last 200 years, the number one driving force that has enabled women to be liberated is control over their own conception, control over their own reproduction. And so, women have... Uh, when I say exasperated, it says, is that element of women do struggle um, with life in the home uh, because we put this emphasis on qualities? That's there, right? And that can be exasperating. But what I'm talking about here is the exasperation that comes from a culture that doesn't value um, um, the way that they were created. So God created woman. Um, with a sense of what Eric would say, homewardness, um, that uh, she's a nurturer and a carer. And I'm, we're going to talk about that more. But just for now, you know, she's a life giver. She's a, care, uh, a caretaker. She's all these wonderful things. But what happens is, and as I was just kind of reading in American history, is that you had the slaves and then you have the women. And... One quote that I thought was really profound was by Evelyn Cunningham, where she says, women are the only oppressed group in our society that lives in intimate association 
with their oppressors. And so over the last, so over just the span of history, and then when we look at American history, women have been just used as sex servants, child bearers, right? Um, um, and, and, and having sex with your husband, that's great. Having children, that's great. But there's a difference when you look at your woman as a helpmate and a companion as opposed to a subordinate. And so that leads to exasperation. Now, the fall already showed us that women were going to have a, uh, this is going to be this battle, right? Men are going to want to like subjugate. Women are want to like fight for leadership. And so you abuse women, you exasperate them. What do you think going to happen? Huh? And then we turn Oh, these feminists, like, they're nasty. What is going on? I'm like, y'all hated them, right? Because feminism is just this response, and I'm jumping my scripture. You know what? I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to go back to it, but it's later in the sermon, and I get hyper, you know? And one thing I do have in common with the president, I'm not good with notes or teleprompters. All right, so exasperation. So desperation and exasperation leads to the next liberation. As a society, here's another quote. As a society, it is time to acknowledge that unless a woman is in control of her own reproduction, she is not free and is, and let me get in front of here. And it is the responsibility of our American government to protect and ensure the freedom of all American citizens. It is time we get serious about addressing and achieving this great unfinished business of civil rights in America. The true emancipation and equality of women is dependent on it. Desperation, exasperation leads for the desires of liberation. Now, I don't want to discredit the whole women's rights movement because I think there is a common good. Women should be treated as equal. They should have equal pay. They should have equal rights, right? Um, we should celebrate them more. They add much value to our society. So I don't want to discredit that. But what happens is when liberation is not rooted in the character of God, it only leads to more oppression. And what happens is that the fight for justice becomes a fight for privilege. You see, the difference is when you fight for justice, biblical justice, you're fighting to see human flourishing for everybody. Everybody comes up. But when justice becomes just about your personal issues, even though wanting to be treated as equal is good, but when it becomes just about you, you're no longer dealing with uh, justice. You're just trying to get privilege. And that's one of the, the, the dysfunctional thing about our society 
is this issue of a privilege. And so when I talk about um, having a ministry of reconciliation and that Christ gives us, God gives us the ministry of reconciliation, we have to understand like when we enter into the public sphere that we are doing it as reconcilers. We are ambassadors. It's okay to be a revolutionary. As long as you're a revolutionary who has the heart of an ambassador for Christ. All right. Right. So these is basically the three reasons why I believe that um, women have abortions. Um, So now. What do we do? Like now, how do we minister into this this context? Um, And again, I believe you start with um, a ministry of reconciliation. Again, I believe that. Um, even though we are, we all are not called to the pro-life movement, I do believe we are called to have a pro-life ministry. And I believe that that ministry begins with reconciliation. Right. And so again, we started out with uh, 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 19. And so again, it says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us, to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not committing their trespasses against them and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. And so Christ has come to free us from the penalty and power of sin. And the beautiful thing uh, is now with repentance and confessions of our sins, turning away from this this culture, turning away from the way we lived, this this life where we are are just in the world trying to do us, you know. Now we could turn away from that sinful lifestyle, right? Turn away from our ideals of sexuality, our ideals of marriage, our ideals of manhood. We could turn away from those things and now turn to Christ. And with repentance and the forgiveness of our sins, we're now reconciled back to the Father. And as we begin that beautiful process of sanctification, where we begin to grow to be more and more like Christ, we become more and more like the men and more and more like the women that God has called us to be. And so so basically what Christ does is he restores manhood. And so we go from being men who are driven by lust to men who are driven or who have a desire to love and care for his woman. Not only love and care for his woman, commits to her in marriage. You know, we have gotten too comfortable in our society with just men, just people shacking up. And, you know, I was looking, I was reading, they were... It was the statistics. I'm about to, okay. There was a statistic. And it was just talking about fatherhood. Um, and just basically how black men versus white men or whatever just care for their families. Because there's kind of this fatherless myth. Well, basically, there's a fatherless issue in America. <laughs> right? 
Um, but what happens is dysfunctions in the African-American community are used to demonize us. Right. And so sometimes what we do is we kind of go to want to decide and like we're not going to talk about it because we already know that they like people on the outside is going to use that. But at the same time, we still have to talk about it because even if men are seeing their children, even if men are paying their child support, that's good. That's better than nothing. But it's not the way God called us to be. Like God meant what he said, man, woman, right? Matrimony. He meant it when he says, I designed sex to be uh, for recreational and procreational use. <laughs> for recreational and procreational use for husband and wife. And when we begin to have uh, a culture where you're not um, committing to one another, it's good that a man is paying his child support, but it's still going to have a negative impact on society because that, that because men begin, because boys begin to grow up and they, they're not going to commit. That becomes their ideal of commitment. There was this silly book by a radio host called Think Like a Man, and it made, uh, it sold a lot of copies. It became a movie, and it was just dumb. Because, because basically he was saying, women, you got to learn how to think like a man. And then he presents this jacked up model of manhood. Right. You know, women, you need to think like a godly man. You need to understand like a man is called to love you and care for you. And commit to you. He's called to be a provider. Right. A provider versus a deadbeat. You know, when I say provide, I'm talking about not just providing financially, but also providing emotionally, providing physically, uh, providing um, socially in a sense of saying, look, like you are a wife. Right. You're just you're not a side chick. You're not a jump off. You are a wife and I'm going to commit to you. Right. And so. He's not going to put his woman out there like that, right? He's going to, I'm going to provide everything you need because when we look at abortions, right? I talked about last week how it's a, a, a just killing. It's a just killing or our society views it as a just killing because women are um, stranded, emo, uh, stranded financially and just all these emotional and physical issues that they have. But the way that God created man it was to be a provider, to be all those things to her. And when a woman is safe, feels safe and secure in her man's arm, even if it's financial hardship, that man voice saying, hey, that's my baby. We could do this. Right. She's going to be like, oh, OK. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So the next part is leader. And you know what? 
those last few slides, I'm not going through it. Because, um, again, I just really felt like the Lord wanted me to focus on this more. Um, leader, protector versus a passive enabler. It's so sad that all these women are led to the clinic by so many women are led to the clinic by passive dudes, right? You know, when I look at the Supreme Court ruling, Roe versus Wade, I mean, we could talk about whatever the legalities that came up. That's, that's not, I, you know, I can't debate all that. You know, go holla at JD. He'll be happy to break it down. But from a spiritual side to it, the Supreme Court was just led by men. The women came and said, we want this. And they say, okay. Um, rather, I don't care about whatever the legal issues. The fact that men in this country who that mandate to protect is not just for Christians, Right. Even though the Christian man should be able to do it uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit and to do it to um, the glory of God. That's just the, the ideal of protecting your boo is just common sense. And when you don't protect your your wife or your girl, you know, you, that's just being a punk. And so we have this Supreme Court of these dudes that were just not bold enough to say, no, you're not. And I'm not saying it's like as to try to like force women to submit to uh, man's will, but when but to protect your woman, sometimes you have to protect her from herself. You know, um, in the garden when Satan came at Eve, you know, and I love the way that Eric said it um, in our proverb series. Adam should have been ready for war. You know, he should have been ready to square up with Satan. Right. Why? To defend his wife from Satan, but as well as protect her from herself because she was out of order. And so being a protector is one is sometimes we can't be passive dudes because we're like, well, I'm scared what she's going to say. Right. But my thing is, if you're walking as a loving man, you're walking as a provider, you're walking as this caring, loving servant, see, uh, uh, servant sometimes you got to be like, nope, we're not doing that. And we're not doing that because it's not lining up with God's word. And so when you look at the Supreme Court, that's the thing that just uh, just drives me crazy. But anyway. So now to sum this up, women who are led by men that are committed to them, who they feel secure with, uh, they don't typically have abortions. So that's that's men. Now we got to get to women. Now, I, I feel like culture goes the way that men goes. That's because we are the leaders. We are the head. So when culture is jacked up, you see it in scripture, and you can see it through all, throughout creation history. When things are jacked up, when homes are jacked up, it's the dude. But women, right, you also have issues. And you know what's funny is when I'm talking about abortion, when I'm talking about it from the perspective of poverty, and I'm talking about women hardships, 
you know, people are like, you know what? You're woke, right? You the good Christian, not them over there. Like, you the good Christian. You get it. Tell me more, right? And the thing is cool. But you know what? I believe that's true. And I believe you have to deal with those systemic issues. Um, But that's just not the end of it. Because then when I began to talk about, man, women are having abortions out of convenience, where it's not a, a hardship issue, um, then it's kind of like, nah, 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 wait a minute, Alvin. You know, you, women don't have abortions out of convenience. Women don't have abortions just so they can finish school or just to move up in the career, move up the corporate ladder. Um, and I would say, yeah, they do. And I believe that it's hard for us to receive that because it's hard for us because we all have this picture of like the woman being, it's it's weird because we do have this image of a woman being a nurturer, Um, even though there's this other, it's distorted by other things, but it is hard to go, man, there are women who will sacrifice their kids for their own quality of life. That's hard for us. That just It's hard for me to say. And I think that's kind of why we don't talk about that element. Even though when you listen to um, women speak in the public sphere, that language is there. And, 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 and what I think is going on is that women are beginning to um, create a form of femininity that's created in the image of the oppressor. You know, one of the things I notice, and we see this in the black community, you know, slave owners told Africans that they, they were inferior to the white man and used the Bible to prove it. Then you see the rise of groups such as the Nation of Islam, Hebrew Israelites, uh, Five Percenters, right? And they create this narrative of like, no, we're superior, you're inferior. And so essentially what they're doing is um, that now their identity is modeled after the same supremacist thinking of their oppressor. Now, look at the abortion movement. Um, Women cry out, my body, my choice, right? God, you will not tell me when and when not to have a baby, right? Because it's not that women are just, a lot of women are just looking to be liberated from the bondage of man. It's looking to be liberated from the bondage of biblical femininity, and so God is the one who opens and closes the womb. And sometimes we get so arrogant because we got birth control, we think that we do it, right? And then when that birth control fails, we go, God did not tell you no, right? That doesn't look like the image that God created woman for. That language is foreign to scripture when it comes to the design of who he wants women to be. And that type of um, oppressive thinking, 
sounds to me more like fallen man. And then not only that, she wants to be a leader. And so now when you look at the pro-abortion movement, she leads and raises up an army, a movement. When you look at abortion, that's a strong movement. When you look at the women's rights movement, it's powerful. And when we think about abortion, this is not being led by men. It's a, this, it distorted, it's this distorted thing that women has created where they use, actually, they show that there are equals because there is some brilliance and genius to put all this together. But now when it comes to one of the most brutal movements in American history, when you look at the bloodshed and the death that comes with abortion, that movement is up there with the Holocaust, right? That movement is up there with the mid-Atlantic slave trade, right? Was that King Leopold, right? And it shows that women unsubmitted to God's uh, vision for them can be just as brutal as any man. And she does it while yelling liberation and equality. And so again, I'm not trying to dismiss the whole equality piece, but I'm just saying we got to discern when we're in the midst of our allies and our friends, right? And sometimes what happens, and I see it in the African-American community with the black church, and sometimes I see it with women, we won't speak truth to our allies. Like we won't engage those and we won't call out the people who are fighting for our particular heart issue. Where God is saying, no, I'm sending you to be an ambassador because culture is tripping. And it's a culture war. Yeah. But more than that, it's a spiritual war where culture is fighting and battling once again at each other. And to be honest with you, for the hood, I don't know what's worse. Is it the neglect of the privilege or the attention from the progressives? Because when I look at the hood and I see broken families and I see mass incarceration, what I'm seeing is that there's just a general government system, right, where you just got the two power struggles. Okay, I'm going to stop. <laughs> I get into these tangents. I'm going to stop. I'll save that for Matt Group. Um, <laughs> All right. All right. All right. So now, and again, I don't have slides for this because actually I just started to go in a different path. But now when we look at Genesis 2, 8, and it says, then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now. It's funny. When you talk about men, you're talking about leaders, you're talking about protectors, you're talking about providers, all these strong words. And then you get to women and go, okay, you're a helper. Right? Helper. And you, you're called to submit. And that doesn't necessarily sound like intriguing, right? It sounds lesser than but when you looked at the fact that God gives woman a calling to 
image him in the world. And he says, you're going to be a helper. Like I am a helper. And then you go into uh, the Psalms and you see that this, how God helps, right? Because what it is, is like a helper is by woman being a helper is showing us uh, how God cares for his people. And so when we look at woman and we see that she's uh, a nurturer, we see that she's uh, a caretaker. We see that, you know, even in Psalms, a protector, right? Because in the sense, because she gets our back, right? That whole mama bear thing, like women, like they can go in on it. Marilyn will, you know, she look nice, but you mess with her family, right? But when you look at what a helper is, right? And in fact, like it's a, an exalted title. And, and when God is acting as a, a helper, it's just showing his covenantal care for his, his people. And that's what you're called to do. You're called to be a life giver, uh, a, a nurturer. You're called to the home. And that's a good thing. You know, it's cool that you're a doctor. It's cool that you're a lawyer. It's cool that you're all these type of things. And, but when you get that call, by uh, when you become a, that always throws me off. When you become, <laughs> you got to throw the finger up there, Lee. Um, but when you conceive, you have a new calling. And that's to the home. Now, the way you work that out with your husband, right? That's between y'all. Because it does, because the Bible says women shouldn't work, Right? That's not what I'm saying, but there's a homewardness where now you have a priority to give life to your family, your husband and your children by being there. And I always say that even men have to like when it calls to the call, when it comes to the call of home, men have to be mindful because it's not healthy for us just to be out in the world um, providing um, but when that provision becomes like, nah, I want more money, I want um, that move higher in this corporate ladder, that's not even healthy for men to do because you need energy to come home to care for your family. And so that call for um, when a woman and a man conceives is really a call for both sexes to start looking at home and then processing what is the best plan for us, Right. But women needs to, you need to understand like that's your primary primary res, primary responsibility. So I'm going to end it with this. The beautiful thing is is that God not only restored manhood and womanhood. But it's also we see a restoration in marriage because now that creative order where you go to Colossians three eighteen through 19, you see wives submit yourself to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ as a reconciler. That he frees us from the bondage of sin. He frees us from these images of humanity that's formed to the patterns of this world. And he frees us to go, you know what? I can love my wife. This is masculine. You know, right now when 
I feel most masculine when my wife feel most secure. That's when I feel masculine, when she knows, like, he ain't going nowhere, right? I ain't going nowhere, but no, I'm joking. Um, right? She knows I'm not going anywhere. And that's the comfort that all women should have. And single men, you know, you need to start preparing to be this man. It doesn't happen when you start dating. All right? You need to understand pursuing a woman. Don't be winning her heart and then going, well, I don't know if she's the one for me. Right? Get yourself out the dating pool and continue in discipleship. You already have to be this man, this provider, the protector, the biblical lover, right? And so I just wanted to throw that out to the dudes. And women, you can start preparing to be that godly woman by giving up, by caring for the body, nurturing the body, and nurturing those in our, in our community. And so God restores marriage. He restores the creative order. But he also, there's a restoration in parenting where unwanted pregnancies or unplanned pregnancies aren't looked as an obstacle. It's not looked as something bad. There's a, a pro-choice slogan that says, every child a wanted child. And that sounds good until you understand, like, their ideal of a wanted child is a child that's wanted by the mother. And if that child is not wanted by the mother, you're going to abort it. That's what's behind that. But Scripture says children are a gift. And whenever you look at conception in the Bible, it was celebrated. I mean, it, it, was, it was celebrated. And so now with parent and with our parenting, there's a restoration. We can renew our minds. And many of us do here in the body. We're you know, there's a lot of people that practice contraceptions. But then that unplanned pregnancy happens. Now there's that initial like, whoa, okay. All right. But you renew your mind and then you celebrate it on a prayer request. Right? <laughs> right? That's how it should be. Right? And so there's even, so not only do we need to like renew our thinking about man, woman, husband, and wife, we need to renew our mind about our thinking when it comes to women. And then my last point, really, this is my last point. When it comes to the ministry of reconciliation, right, we need to be a church to have a reconciling voice in our community. That's why we came here. We came here because reconciliation means evangelism, right? When, when we are called to be ambassadors of Christ, we're called to go out into the world and see that men implore them to be reconciled to God. And we do that through evangelism, and we do that through making disciples. And the one thing that I'm so blessed is that I had a grandmama who was an evangelist, right, who poured the gospel into me. You know, I'm thankful for a mama who was an inviter, who when me and my wife were separated, she saw my wife and invited her to church. And then the Lord started to, to do a work in her heart. 
And then what happened was he redeemed me. And then he sent me home. He redeemed my, my, my wife. She received me home. He restored our marriage. Right? Gave us three reconciliation babies. Right? And so I want to say that because, one, I know I've been talking about our journey from the heartbreak of abortion, but there's a good ending. And so I want to encourage that for you to go out into our communities, right, and to be that evangelist and to, and to be about making disciples, right? Let your marriage shine to the community. There's a one, lady, one young lady that is a part, well, she goes to youth group. And she just hangs at different people's houses in the community. And one day she came up to me and she was like, Mr. Alvin, you know, your house looked like the Stahl's house. She was like, and your house looked like the Coffee's house. And because what she saw was redemptive marriage, redemptive manhood, redemptive womanhood. She saw a man loving his wife, loving their children, loving and appreciating and, and caring for one another. She saw the peace that comes through uh, uh, having that peace with God, right? And it was different from the rest of the world. And so I'm just kind of like, man, I want to encourage you, let your manhood shine, let your womanhood shine. Open up the doors of your house. Get busy this summer, hitting the streets, neighboring, all those other stuff. Encourage it because God will use it. He will bring the increase. Amen. This bar here. Dear gracious Father, Lord God, I just thank you for, um, Lord, for just having pity, um, compassion on us, Lord. And Lord, I, I just thank you for sending your son to us to reconcile us to you, to Lord, to, to, to awaken us um, to just the beauty of who you are, to allowing us to partake in this abundant life where we're not just free from the penalty of death, but we're free to live the way that you called us to live. Lord, I just thank you for um, just everyone here who, who have come here to just be a light to this community. Mm-hmm. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, continue to grow us uh, in our homes, um, grow us as a church, allowing us to to not let uh, culture and the different uh, drama that's in the world, Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, that you will allow us to be able to to continue that, that that racial reconciliation, Lord. We pray that you allow us to continue in the process of uh, um, um, gender reconciliation. And, Lord, we just uh, look forward to see what you're going to do in this community. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.